Um, all right, so we are in Mark chapter 4, and we are four chapters and 14 weeks into a sermon series in the Gospel of Mark that we've been calling uh, The Lion Roars. And uh, we've really been looking at the life of Jesus. That's what this series really is all about. And so when, when people talk about Jesus, they refer to him in a lot of different ways. They, they, some people refer to him as uh, Savior or Lord or Messiah or Redeemer. Uh, certainly he is all of those things and, and, and even, even more. But it's interesting, when Mark seems to communicate about Jesus... Uh, there seems to be an agenda that he has when he is presenting Jesus, that he's got this agenda that he's working. And, and so when Mark presents Jesus in his gospel, he presents him as an unsuspecting king. He's kind of, the picture that we get from Mark of Jesus is the king that you would have never expected. He's the king that you would have never imagined. He, he's the king that, that just surprises you, right? He's unlike any king in human history because this king comes to us in weakness. He comes to us in, in humility. He, he comes to us in obscurity. He, he, he really comes to us in love. And so he, he's, he's, just, he's just not of this world. I think that's the best way to describe it. And so then when Jesus comes, he's communicating to us uh, um, really the concepts about the kingdom in a way that we see that the kingdom itself is very unsuspecting. Like it's a kingdom that you would have never imagined. It's a kingdom that you would never have read about, you know, when you're growing up and learning about kings and, and, and kingdoms and stuff. And so, and so what we have is we have an unsuspecting king who, who leads and oversees an unsuspecting kingdom. And then throughout the gospel of Mark, you see that, that, Jesus is teaching and unveiling to us all about the kingdom. And it starts, out, it starts out really kind of small, but then it builds through the gospel of Mark. So, so in chapter 1, you see, you see Jesus communicating the kingdom, and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. But then there's not a lot of explanation about what the kingdom of God really is until you get to chapter 4, which is the chapter we're going to look at today. But it slowly builds, and what Jesus does is he, sl he slowly unfolds and reveals to us what the kingdom of God really is. And somebody asked me about this last Sunday, and I, I thought I would touch on it. You'll notice that when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about the kingdom in parables. And what's fascinating is Jesus will sometimes explain the parables and what they mean, and then sometimes he doesn't explain them. And it really depends on who his audience is. Sometimes he reveals the secrets to the kingdom to a certain audience. And then other times he's being deliberately secretive about the kingdom. And you're kind of left scratching your head like, why in the world does he do that? Why doesn't he explain the, the, the secrets of the kingdom to, to his audience? And the answer to that is, is really found in, in what we looked at last week, the parable of the sower. And I shared with you that the point of the parable of the sower is that the soils reveal heart conditions that determine how people respond to the gospel. And what we see is that, that a lot of people reject the word of God. That's their response to the gospel and to the word. They completely reject it. So Jesus deliberately hides the secrets of the kingdom from the people who've already rejected it. Because Jesus understands they're going to be judged according to the light and truth 
that they've received. In other words, to whom much is given, much is required. So it's really an act of compassion on them to not tell them the secrets of the kingdom so that they can reject it even more. You see what I'm saying? And that's part of why he speaks in parables. But to those of us who've received the word of God, we see that we receive the secrets of the kingdom, that they're revealed to us, and we begin to be aware, we begin to see through his lenses, we begin to understand through, through his eyes, and our lives are changed because we begin to see this world is not all that there is. In fact, there's a world that's more real than the world that we're presently in. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two more parables that really help us understand the kingdom of God. And we're going to read from Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 21 through 34. So I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read the word of God this morning? So Mark records this, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it grows, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And so the grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So Jesus is really wanting us to see the kingdom of God. He he wants us to understand it. And uh, he's talking about a lamp that uh, the purpose of the lamp is not to light it and then put it up under a bed or to put a basket over it. The purpose of a lamp is, is really to let people see it and let people see by it. And so what he's doing is he's, he's really lighting the lamp of the kingdom of God and he, he wants us to see the kingdom of God in all of its glory. So what he does is he gives us, he gives us some insights into the kingdom of God. And I, I, I've picked out just three. Uh, there's certainly more in this passage, but um, I picked out three for us today just to kind of focus on. I think what we see in this passage really is the priority of the kingdom. And then I think we see the paradox of the kingdom. And then we'll end by talking about the power of the, of the kingdom. So let's, let's look first and foremost at the priority of the kingdom. And you see this in verses 30 through 32, or Jesus says, he says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it grows, when it's sown, it grows up because 
It grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. Now, so he's trying to describe this. And he says, you know, how can I, how can I, how can I communicate it to you in a way that you can understand it? I mean, basically, that's what he's asking. He, he understands our limitations. He understands that, that really we're bound by space and time. And we're blinded by sin, the world, and the devil. That those things work to blind us to the things of God. So it hinders our ability to see. And he understands that. And he understands that we're just kind of bound because we, we evaluate you know, through a, an earthly lens, through a temporal lens, and he's trying to get us to see through an eternal lens, a heavenly lens. So that's quite a shift that he's, that he's trying to help us, you know, really take. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I, I will share a metaphor, a parable, an illustration that everybody can relate to. It was an agrarian society, and he starts talking about the mustard seed. Everybody understands a mustard seed. Everybody then, you know, back then knows how to farm and knows all about gardening. He says, you know, the kingdom of God is really like a mustard seed, and it starts out really small. The mustard seed's really small, but then it grows to be the largest of all the plants and trees in, in the garden. Now, what he's doing is he's not really comparing the kingdom to the mustard seed. He's really comparing the kingdom to what happens to the mustard seed. And what happens to the mustard seed is it starts out really small and insignificant, and then it dominates. It becomes the priority. It becomes the main thing. And so in the same way, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God starts in complete obscurity. It starts in complete insignificance. And yet it becomes the most prominent, the most important thing in all of life. And in fact, it's surprising. Like you would never think of that as the kingdom of God. You would never think that something so small and insignificant could become so great. Because that's not how we're trained in our worldly way of thinking, right? Things small don't become great here. And, and so that's kind of what he's saying. Now, let me just kind of let me just camp there for a minute because I think we need to kind of define our terms a little bit. And I think we hear this phrase, the kingdom of God, and we're like, well, what is the kingdom of God? I mean, how could you really define it? And I, I found a great defini definition, and this is from a guy named Jeremy Treat, and he says this. He says, the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. So really, the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. The kingdom of God is wherever he rules, and, and, and so we pray this in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're really in the Lord's Prayer praying for the reign and the rule of God to take place where, where he's not being allowed to. And then he rules through God's people. So it's God's reign through God's people. And that's where you and I come in. We're, we're the sons and daughters of God. We're you know, we're king's kids. And so, so he rules, he delegates his authority through us and to us so that we would rule on his behalf. And then we rule over God's place. So it's God's reign through God's people over God's place. And really God owns everything. He owns the entire universe. He created it. He designed it. it it's all his. It belongs to him, the earth, the heavens, the universe. And so we're going to reign uh, God's going to reign through us um, in his place. And so that's really the kingdom of God. It is God's rule through God's people 
in, in over God's place. Now, when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, because that's recorded in Mark as well, what he's really saying is this. He's, he's really calling us to recognize God's reign and God's rule. So that's what repentance is. It's just coming back to, God, you're ruling and you're reigning, and I submit to your rule and reign. That's really what repentance is. Because sin, sin is not, you know, don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or run around with girls that do. You know, it, that, that's, that's typically how we view sin and define sin. But that's just the outflow of sin, right? Sin, at its very heart, is saying, God, I don't want you to rule. I want to rule. I don't want you to be in control. I want to be in control. And then from that, you get all kinds of sin. And so repentance is really calling us out of that mindset and calling us back to the rule of God. That is, that is literally what uh, repentance is. Now, back to the mustard seed. When you think about the mustard seed, this is where we really begin to see the priority of the kingdom. The mustard seed starts small and it becomes the largest of all the garden plants. And so when you think about Jesus' life, it's just fascinating. When you evaluate Jesus' life from a worldly standpoint, he doesn't really check any of the boxes. I mean, just think about it. Evaluate Jesus from a worldly point of view. He wasn't born of, of a prominent family. He, he wasn't born into money. He was born into poverty, quite honestly. He, he wasn't born to political positions. So many times we inherit those those kind of positions and power just by virtue of who we're related to. That's not him. Uh, he didn't particularly have a great formal education, although Jesus knows everything. He didn't have a great education. And the Bible tells us there really wasn't anything attractive about his appearance that would draw us to him. I mean, he was just kind of an average, ordinary looking human Mediterranean man, okay? He's just, just average, right? So there's there's nothing that he has that the world says you have to have in order to be significant and powerful. And yet something happens. The mustard seed, the word of, law, the word of God comes and he's, he's made king of kings and lord of lords. And uh, his kingdom starts out small and then rules. And that's what we see. Now, you might push back and say, well, Scott, I, I mean, I'm following you, but I, I turn on the news and it doesn't seem like the kingdom of God is growing anywhere, you know, that I'm seeing. And, and uh, our country seems out of control. Um, the world seems out of control. Our community certainly seems out of control. Um, I don't really see God reigning. But that's the interesting thing is when a farmer puts the seed in the ground, the farmer doesn't see what's going on underneath the soil. But there is literally energy and explosive things happening under the soil that, that's really um, not, not seen by the farmer. And so this is where we really begin to see the priority of the kingdom. One day Jesus will reign. One day he will reign on the earth physically, literally, spiritually, in every way. He's going to rule on the earth. And, uh, and this is where you and I come into play. So let's kind of drill down on this just a little bit. Jesus physically is no longer on the earth. He lived 33 years. He died 
Uh, he rose, he ascended into heaven, and he sent us the Holy Spirit. During his ministry, his ministry for three years was about s spreading the rule of God everywhere he went. So his ministry, healing, miracles, preaching, and teaching was all about spreading the kingdom of God everywhere he went. Now, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he gives us, he sent us the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter, to empower the church to do what? To continue his ministry. So the church, the body of Christ, is empowered by the Spirit of God to pick up where Jesus left off and to spread the rule and the reign of God all over the earth. That's what we're called to do. That's what the church is. We're not an enclave where we just kind of hide out and batten down the hatches until Jesus comes back. No, we're the expression of the kingdom of God on the earth today. The kingdom of God is here. And, and so he's empowered us to, to carry it out. And so the kingdom of God, church, this may be surprising what I'm about to say, but the kingdom of God is actually exploding all over the earth. It really is. The church is exploding in, in South America. The church is exploding in Africa. The church is exploding in, in Asia. China is the largest Christian nation in the world. It is. Now, the only place where the kingdom doesn't really seem to be exploding is the United States and Europe. And there are multiple theories about that. But what we see is the kingdom of God is building and building and building. And... Uh, and and actually, we don't always see it, but, it, but it's happening. And so the church is really the expression of the kingdom of God on the earth. And so that's what Jesus wants us to see. That's what he wants us to understand. There's something happening in the soil that, we, that we don't, we're not always aware of. Now, let's make it a little bit more practical for you and for me. If the local church is the expression of the kingdom of God on the earth, then that means you and I have a crucial role to play in the spread of God's rule and God's kingdom. So every time you serve, every time you give, every time you volunteer in children's ministry, every time you volunteer in student ministry or whatever ministry, every time you pray, every time you share the gospel, you know what's happening? The kingdom of God spreads and expands. That's what's happening. We're the body of Christ. And, the, and his, his spirit is using us. This is so crucial to understand. This is why you can't just sit in the bleachers and just watch the game. You've got to get into the game because it's a kingdom game. And it's about growing the kingdom as God chooses to work through his people to spread his rule and reign all over the earth. Now, let's make a couple of applications on this and, uh, and, and just you know, go a little bit deeper on this a little bit. As we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom is really not about you. The kingdom's not about me. The kingdom is about this world. Let me put it another way. Let's talk about salvation just for a minute. I would say that the kingdom of God is salvation and salvation is the kingdom of God. It's they're almost synonymous. Salvation is not just about you. It's about the world. And you're like, well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean by that is this. You know that 
I think sometimes in the American church, we, we communicate salvation in such a way that all you have to do is pray this prayer and receive Christ. And then when you die, you get to go to heaven. You're like, I've done that. I'm good to go. I can kind of go do whatever I want to do. And we've kind of narrowed down the kingdom and salvation to a prayer that we pray so that when we die, we, we have our sins forgiven and we can go to heaven. And that's a part of it. It's just a small part. It's so much bigger than that. The kingdom is, salvation is. You see, salvation is not really just about you. It's really about the world. And what God is doing in the world is he's actually renewing, restoring, and remaking the world as, as the kingdom of God spreads. So you turn to the end of the book of Revelation, and what do you find at the very end of the book of Revelation? It's not God pulling us out of this dark, sinful, evil world so that the world can blow up. It's not that at all. What is it? What you see is heaven literally coming down to the earth. So if you want to know where we're going to spend eternity, we're going to spend eternity in a combined heaven and earth right here. So what God is doing, the purpose of God's salvation, the purpose of the kingdom of God is really to renew and restore creation. And God does that through healing us, healing the alienation that sin causes between us and God, between each other, and between creation and God himself. God's healing all of that, and he's doing it one heart at a time. So, so making it very practical, when you care for the poor, when you when you care for a mom who has an unwanted pregnancy, when you feed the hungry, when you give a cup of cold water to the thirsty, right? When you serve of yourself, you know, you serve others for the glory of God, what you're doing is you're slowly ushering the kingdom of God in, one person at a time. That's our ministry. Here's another application. When you think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not just about the world, but the kingdom of God is about God the king. It really is about God the king. Now, what I mean by this, and I want you to hear me on this, is, is really just the reality that Jesus reveals to us God as a father, a heavenly father, a perfect heavenly father. But we also see that God is a king. So how do you, how do you come before a king? Do you come demanding your way? Do you come trying to negotiate a deal? Do, do you come saying, you know, God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do that for you? Is that how do you come to a king? How do you come, how do you approach a king? You bow your knee. You, you surrender to a king. Because he's your king. Like he created you. He's the king. He's the owner of it all. And so we come to him in faith. We come to him in trust because we know he's a good king. And we, and we kneel before him and we say, your will be done, O king. I'm here to serve you. 
And, and so when you come into the presence of a king, you recognize you're not in control. The king is. You recognize that your money is not really yours. It belongs to the king. You realize that your gifts and your talents and abilities are really not yours. They come to you from the king. You, you realize that the time that you have on earth is really not your time. It's a gift given to you by God, the king. You realize that your body doesn't belong to you, for your body was bought with a price. So your sex life belongs to the king. And so when we come to the king, we, we kneel before him. Like we reverence him, we honor him, we worship him. Because he's the king. And so we, we serve him. And I think that's a practical outflow of the priority of the kingdom of God. Secondly, let me tell you about the paradox of the kingdom. And... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like this, as I was trying to figure out how to explain the paradox of the kingdom, because Jesus really communicates it here. You can see it in verses 24 through 25. Let me kind of set it up this way. The paradox of the kingdom is it's like when the kingdom of God enters into you and you enter into the kingdom of God, because both things happen, it changes everything. Like your whole life's different as a result of you entering into the kingdom of God. It's like you have a new operating system. So, you know, on your phone, most of you probably have iPhones, you have iOS operating system. Uh, some of you have Samsung, so you have Android. It would, what we're talking about is when the kingdom of God comes into you, you've got a completely brand new operating system. And, and you have to get to know it. And you've got to work with it. And, and Jesus gives us some insights into this. Let me show it to you, verses 24 through 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, that's kind of confusing. It seems like on the surface, what, what, what's he really saying? He, he's really saying this. If you use a certain measure, whatever it is, Okay, let's say it's this. That measure will be added, will be given back to you. And what he's saying is plus more. So if you use this measure, that measure will be given to you plus more. And I think what the principle is, or the paradox here is, is he's talking about the more you give, the more you will have. I think that's the paradox. The more you give, the more you have. The more you empty yourself, the more you'll be filled. It's like this. You'll never learn to live until you learn to die. You won't go up until you first go down. It's a paradox. It's really the paradox of the kingdom. And I think it applies in every single area of your life. I mean, think of it this way. If you, if you want to know Jesus more, raise your hand if you want to know Jesus more. Okay, good answer. Very good. Very good answer in church, so that's good. Um, so what's the principle applied to that? If you want to know Jesus more, give away the knowledge of Jesus that you have. Give it away. 
Because the more you give away the knowledge of Jesus that you have, the more knowledge of him you will have. It's a paradox. If you cower in fear and hold on to the knowledge of Jesus and you never give it away, you're, it's going to kind of slip through your fingers. You're going to be limited in your knowledge because you're holding on to it in fear. But if you give it away, you give it away in faith and in joy, you gain it. You gain even more. And so the more you give it away, the more of it you will have. Another way of saying it would be this way. God designed you to be a channel, not a reservoir. That's what he's designed you to be. He's designed you to be a conduit, not a collection basin. I remember my high school student pastor, he'd always say, he would always say, Scott, if you find a lack in your life, look for something to give away. So let's just say you struggle with loneliness. A lot of people struggle with loneliness today. Well, what, what you ought to do is, is really focus not on the loneliness side, but focus on just being a friend to people, just being a really good friend. Let that be your focus. You know, if you're struggling financially, certainly you need to work to get on a budget. We can help you with that as a church. But then find a way to be generous. Even if it's, in, I mean, I'm not talking about giving away billions of dollars. I'm just talking about find small ways to be generous and God will give you more. And you'll see it. Because, because the more you give, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you plus more, what is what Jesus says. And so if you want to know more about Jesus, give away the knowledge of Jesus that you have. Now, some of you are saying, okay, I'm getting it, Scott. I've figured it out. In order to get, I'll give. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'll start serving others so that I'll have my needs met. Wrong answer. That's not what we're talking about. That's not really giving at all. That's just doing it with the wrong motives. Um, I think in order, you know, you have, to, you have to really give of yourself, which means you forget about you. I love how Tim Teller describes this. He, he describes it a lot better than I do. He says this. He says, the way up is really the way down. That's the paradox of the kingdom. That the way to influence and power is not to seek influence and power, but to serve. The way to get rich is by giving it away. The way to be happy is to not try to be happy, but to help others be happy. The way to reign is to submit. The way to find yourself, to know that you're distinct and valuable, is to lose yourself in serving God and serving others, he says. It's really the paradox of the kingdom. And uh, what I'm figuring out is it's the exact opposite of what the world says. So whatever the world says, just do the opposite of that and you'll, you'll, be the, you'll find the kingdom of God. So it, it's, it's kind of like this. I mean, have you found one verse in the Bible, one verse that says you should seek after your own happiness? Is there one verse from Genesis to Revelation that says we need to be seeking our own happiness? There's not even one. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's what he says. And I just find, I find that interesting. C.S. Lewis is my favorite author, and this is how he concludes his book, Mere Christianity. Let me read to you this quote. He crushes it. 
This is what he says. This is how he ends the book. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day, the death of your whole body. In the end, submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you've not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. It sounds a lot like the world today, does it not? But notice how he's, what he says. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. That's the paradox of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And I, I, I challenge you to live, to live it out in every way. And, uh, and you, you will see it, you'll see it firsthand. Let me, let me just kind of add this. Throughout the gospel of Mark, you know, you see, you really see this contrast between the elites, you know, the, uh, the people that have position and power, they're the ones rejecting the gospel. Generally speaking, through the gospel of Mark, people with power, people with position, people with wealth, they're the ones rejecting the word. Uh, it's the people that have a low and despised position in the gospel of Mark that are receiving the gospel. They're coming to Jesus. It's the children, it's the women, it's the lowly, right? It's the outcast. It's the prostitutes. It's the Gentiles. They're the ones coming in. And, and, and what are they doing? God is raising them up. In other words, it's like Jesus says, the last will be first and the first will be last. Think of it this way. Who modeled this for us perfectly? Who modeled this for us? Jesus did. And Philippians 2 tells us that he, he left heaven. He emptied himself and took on the nature of a servant. He, he took on human flesh, and what did God do? He emptied himself of everything. He humbled himself and allowed himself to be born in a cattle trough to nothing. And God glorified him and gave him the name that at the name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You see, Jesus became the smallest of seeds. And now he's king of kings and lord of lords, and we will see every tongue confess that's pretty cool when you think about it and why do you do that because he loved you and he loved me here's the last one we see the priority we see the paradox and then we see the power of the kingdom you see this in verse 27 uh, Jesus uh, Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and it grows he knows not how so what's fascinating to me about that is, is the farmer, you know, he's scattering the seed, but the farmer can't do anything about it. Farmer just goes about his day. He's not causing the seed to grow. There's no power in the farmer. The power is in the seed. The power is in the kingdom of God. The farmer really doesn't do anything. And it reminds us that we're not in control of the kingdom. We're just here to serve the kingdom. We're just here to get the seeds in the ground. And then the power of the gospel, the power of the kingdom will, will take it from there. And it reminds me of 
of Romans 1.16 where the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now think about that. The kingdom is a kingdom of power because the, because the message of the kingdom is the gospel. And within the gospel, that is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so the power of the kingdom is this. It's the power of God to change a human heart. It's the power of God to change your heart and to change mine so that our lives are never the same again, so that we're no longer a part of the kingdom of darkness, but now we're part of the kingdom of light. And God has changed us and is changing us from the inside out. I think about the Apostle Paul, you know, and I think about his, before he became a Christian, you, you know what he did, right? He persecuted Christians, he murdered Christians, uh, he imprisoned Christians. And just think about this picture. The day the Apostle Paul died was the day that he entered into heaven at the applause of the very people he martyred. Think about that. He enters heaven at the applause and celebration of the very people he killed. Only grace can do that. Only the power of the Holy Spirit to change us can do that. And that same power is yours for the asking. That same power is available to you and to me. It's the power of the kingdom to grow and expand the kingdom to the largest of places. Even so, it becomes the largest of trees so, so the birds of the air can find shade in its branches. And I think what he's really talking about there is Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God and receiving the salvation of God. That is the power of the kingdom for you and for me today. Isn't that incredible? So we've got good news today, church. You know where he's taken us. We know the world looks evil and dark and confused, and it is. But that's not the end of the story. The kingdom of God is doing something in the soil, and it's big. It's going to be big, and you're going to be a part of it. And um, why don't we just take a minute and just pray. Uh, so would you bow your heads as we go to God in prayer. So Lord, we thank you for the secrets of the kingdom and even with our human minds, we, we can't grasp everything, but one day we'll grasp you. One day we'll see you. And so God, I just ask that you would open our eyes and help us to see what you're doing in the world. Help us not to focus on what we hear from cable news or what we read in the headlines, but God, I just ask that you would help us to see above that and below that, that you're building a kingdom and we're your ambassadors. We're, we're farmers working in a field. We're scattering seeds. And so God, would you just give us the power to do that? Would you remind us of your love? Would you remind us of your goodness? And I just ask that you would use us to grow and expand your kingdom. Lord, get us out of the bleachers and get us in the game.
So God, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.